As you know, this is a big Sunday. It's our culmination Sunday, if you will, of our World Outreach Celebration. And I just want to take time to kind of prep you and prepare you for what's going to happen this morning uh, as we uh, get into the service, but especially here at the end. uh, We've been asking you to come prepared uh, for this Sunday to hand in your... uh, 2018 Faith Promise Giving Card, uh, your commitment card. You'll find one of those in your bulletin, and uh, maybe you haven't filled it out yet. We, you still have time during the course of the service to fill this out, and at the end of the service, we're asking you to turn it in, place it in the offering plate at the end of the service. But even before that, Uh, We're going to take time in response to all that God has done, all that he has spoken to us throughout this week, and especially as he speaks through our our speaker this morning, Jim Smith, uh, to respond and respond in prayer and here at the altar and actually get out of our seats and come and pray and just surrender our own lives, surrender our giving to the Lord, and perhaps even say a prayer of, Lord, here I am. Use me in every, any way you see fit. I give my life to you. And even to offer a simple prayer of surrender of your life. Lord, I'm willing to go beyond borders. And if that call is right here in Kansas City, I'm going to do that. Uh, the best that I can in your grace and through the equipping of this church, but perhaps you're even calling me to go beyond borders around the world, then I will do that. I'm giving my life. I don't know the necessarily next step, but here's my life. Uh, And it could be a simple prayer. And obviously you can pray that prayer right where you're seated. But we want to give opportunity for you to actually come to this altar, bow your knee, bow your heart, and and give it to the Lord. And as well as your giving to Faith Promise Commitment. Maybe you need some time to just to pray over this card and say a simple prayer of, Lord, use my giving. Use this giving to partner with the missionaries through LifeBridge. Use the funds that I'm giving. Take it with all those here at LifeBridge that are, that are giving, and you use it for your honor and your glory to get the gospel around the world. Um, God can do that. God can do miracles with our giving through the partnerships of our missionary. And so that's another thing that you can pray for uh, during our response time here. And so I just want to kind of give you a heads up on that. And we want to take a few minutes to, to respond to the Lord during the response time at the end of the message. In fact, I want to take time to introduce all of our missionaries. And so if you guys are here this morning, stand, our missionary guests. I want you to see them. I know many of you are already familiar with them. Have you been blessed this week? Go ahead, stand up. Stay standing. We got Silas back there. Silas Thompson, he's an intern, getting preparing to be an intern to the Mongolia. And so, Silas, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to minister to us. And then we have Jim and Sharon Smith right here, uh, longtime missionaries to Ecuador, and now are going back on deputation, raising support to do encouraging and equipping of national pastors and churches. And so thank you for being with us. And then there's uh, Peter Macare Hayes, missionaries to the Netherlands and longtime partners of ours as well. And then there's the Hovings, who are somewhere else ministering right now in our church, and uh, they're missionaries to England. Give it up for them one more time, and you can be seated. And then Jim Smith is going to be our guest speaker this morning, and we're excited to hear from Jim. No stranger to our church. He has spoken here many, many times, and we're excited what the Lord is going to speak, uh, use how he's going to use you this morning. So appreciate 
each and every one of these missionary couples and Silas being with us this morning. If you please stand with me for the reading of God's word. And while you are standing, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We'll be in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1, reading through verse 12. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, please use a pew Bible in front of you, and you can find uh, scripture reading this morning on page 574. The book of Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1, reading through verse 12. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Let's pray. Father, we humbly come before you, Lord, praising you and thanking you for your son. Thanking, thanking you for his death, for his burial, for his resurrection, that he conquered the grave. Father, I pray for each individual here. Lord, I thank you that each individual is here today, Lord. Father, if there be one that does not know your Son as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day. Today would be the day that they would put their hope, that they would put their trust, that they would put your, their faith in him. I thank you for this week, Lord. I thank you for today that we can come, freely come, to worship you. Open our hearts. Help us to surrender to the message today. In your name I pray. Amen. morning. It's always great to be here. When, uh, when we look forward to this church and being here, we think of several phrases come to mind. Uh, one of them is amazing music, solid Bible teaching, sweet hospitality, and generosity. Those are the terms that come to our minds when we think about LifeBridge. It's a blessing for Sharon and for me to be here today. We want to talk to you this morning for a few minutes about going beyond borders. A border is the part of an area that forms its outer boundary. A border is a part of an area that forms its outer boundary. Sharon and I had the opportunity a couple of months ago to, uh, to uh, go across 
the busiest land border crossing in the world. The San Isidro border crossing connects San Diego, California to Tijuana in Baja California. At that exact entry point, approximately 50,000 vehicles and 25,000 pedestrians cross from Mexico to the United States every day of the year. At the moment, there are 21 lanes of traffic headed northbound. It was an experience. We went back and forth a couple of times that week. We were there to give counsel and, and advice to a church planter who was getting ready to launch a brand new church in Tijuana, or TJ as they call it in Southern California. For those of you that say Tijuana or Tijuana, you're saying it wrong. It's <laughs> Tijuana, okay? Just so you know. They might want to check your credentials if you say it right. Um, I love crossing borders. I've been doing it all my life. I was born in Mexico. Uh, we lived on or near the border for most of my life. It's exciting to cross into a different country. Sometimes we, we cross a, a boundary, we cross the border, and, and things look almost the same on both sides of the border. And then they change the farther you go in from the border. In other situations, things are drastically different on one side or the other of the border. You need a passport at most borders. I've been doing it uh, all our lives. We've had passports and we've had to fill them up and had to have extra pages and then we renew them and the pictures get older. And, uh, it, but it's exciting. It's exciting to cross into a different country. Sometimes there are questions asked at the border. Some people are detained at the border because they aren't prepared for the questions or they don't have the right documents. Sometimes it's intimidating. If we're going to build a bridge that gaps, that covers that gap between God and people, we need to go beyond all of the outer boundaries that we may possibly encounter in order to get the good news within the grasp of all the people. The Lord could not have been more clear in giving us our responsibility. He did not mumble, he did not stutter. At the end of each of the Gospels and in the first chapter of the book of Acts, he clearly stated that now that the death and resurrection of the Son of God has happened, it is up to his followers to proclaim salvation among all the ethnicities of the world. Go everywhere with the Gospel. I want us to look at this miracle that we just read about in Mark chapter 2. It's one of my favorite miracles in the Bible. Uh, verse 1 says, he came, Again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. I love that. It sounds rather modern, doesn't it? Jesus is in the house. Uh, he came to Capernaum. That's on the north coast of the Sea of Galilee. And after some days, it the news spread that he was in the house. His healings had already begun. He was a local sensation, if you will. Verse number 2, Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room 
to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. The house was full as he preached the word. He began explaining the truth of God. Verse 3, Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. A paralyzed man was brought to Jesus by four men. Now here's, here's what we're going to look into today. Or as the kids say, we're going to unpack this. These five men probably knew each other. They might have been friends. And so we find some specific characteristics of these friends, which we should consider as we consider bridging the gap between God and all peoples of the world. First of all, they were concerned. There had to be in their hearts a concern for the welfare of their paralyzed friend. Why else would they decide to take him to Jesus? Why else would they go to any effort if they weren't concerned for him? Are there any friends or family members about whom you are concerned? Are there any other people who need the Savior for whom you should care? I think we need to begin with that which we are concerned. Do you care about the eternal destiny of people you know? I think we, when we're concerned, we add prayer to our concern, don't we? What other better way to express our concern for someone than to pray for them? Concern is born of correct theology. When we understand the reality of heaven and hell, when we understand who God is and we understand His working in the world today, we pray with compassion, we pray with concern, we pray with conviction. These people were concerned. They were also cooperative. It says they were, he was carried by four men. That means four men cooperated together to get the one paralyzed friend into the presence of Jesus. We have no report here of any fussing or any jockeying for position. They submitted to each other. They submitted themselves they didn't fight over who gets the front corner and who gets the back corner and, and who's going to go which direction and which route we're going to take to get to this house. There was a cooperative spirit. Let's each one do our part. There were no weak links. The fulfillment of the Great Commission depends upon the work of a team. Each position on the team is equally important. And every person is important but not so important as to be irreplaceable. You see, it's interesting to me that we are not given the names of these four. We're not given the name of the paralyzed man. They don't have their individual last name emblazoned on their jerseys. What draws us together is not the fame of the team. It is the purpose of the team. The mission of the church is missions. The purpose of the church is to bridge the gap between God and all people. The reason we exist is so that others can come to a knowledge of the truth. We actually need each other. In order for us to get people into the presence of Jesus, we need to be individually faithful and corporately cooperative. We have to do our part and get along with each other. There must be cooperation. Look at number four. 
And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now here is the identifying mark of this, of this miracle. Jesus healed a lot of people in a lot of different circumstances, but this is very unique here. These men were committed. They came upon an obstacle and said, let's keep moving. Let's keep getting closer to Jesus. I think this would count and this would qualify as an outer boundary. They went as far as they could go. Now they had to do something different. They had to cross the boundary. They had to bridge the gap. There was no standing room. There was no room in the, in the house. There was no room in the doorway. But this four-man team was committed to get their friend to Jesus and to go beyond borders. Now, I doubt that it was common practice to destroy the roofs off the neighbor's houses. I don't think that was part of New Testament culture. But it looks like it was a quick decision for this team. They had the conviction that Jesus Christ was the only one who could help their friend. And they were going to do whatever is necessary to get them together. And that is where we get our idea of Beyond Borders. We are aware of the need of the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we have heard again this week of the more than 6,000 people groups that do not have access to the gospel of Christ. And we are convinced of the exclusivity of the gospel. There is only one way to heaven. Jesus is absolutely the only way, the only truth, and the only life. We believe that. And on this 500th anniversary of the Reformation, let us be reminded that eternal life is found in Christ alone. We understand that. Peter and John said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other name. We sang about His name a few minutes ago. And we cannot be saved by any other name. What a wonderful name it is. His name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus means Jehovah Savior. Christ means the Anointed One. The Messiah, the Redeemer, the resurrected Lord and the coming King. He is our Savior if we let Him. We must confess our need to Him, our need of a Savior, and understand that only by trusting in what He has done for us can we be forgiven of the wrongdoing, of the sin in our lives. There is no other name. There is no other way to heaven. We understand that. You see, there is no eternal life found in the prayer wheels of, the, of Buddhism. There is no secure salvation from the lit candles to the saints in all of the cathedrals around the world. There is no salvation in the Virgin Mary. There is no salvation in an Allah who has no son. There is no salvation in the enormous number of Hindu gods. There is no salvation in ancestor worship. There is no salvation in post Christian modernism. There is no salvation in the politicians, in the world leaders, in the economists, or the scientists of our time. Let me say, there is no other way. 
And let me be quick to add that even though our message is exclusive, our method must be inclusive. We should be telling this exclusive message to everyone in the world. Our neighbors, those who work in the same office or study in the same school, we should be forming our teams and picking up the cots and carrying people to Jesus. We need to form those teams. We need to decide what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. We need to have a strategy. We need to have a concern. We need to have a commitment. We need to go and do what God wants us to do. We know our time is limited. We don't know how much time we have. But the Bible says we must work the works of Him that sent us while it is day because there's a night coming when no one can work. Our time is limited and so our team needs to commit to each other. And we need to commit that we will help each other. We will do our part and carry our, our corner of the cot. And we will cross any boundaries. We will overcome any obstacles. And we will, be, we will go beyond any borders so that we can get our friend to Jesus. We can get our neighbor to Jesus. You ask, who's my neighbor? Jesus told us about that, didn't he? Anybody who has a need is our neighbor. We have neighbors that live next door and we have neighbors that live in Saudi Arabia. We have neighbors that live across town and we have neighbors whom we know and we have neighbors whom we've never met. We are responsible to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone. We dare not give up because the road may be rough. We dare not quit because there is little fruit. We dare not walk away because the road is blocked. We dare not go home because the doorway was crowded. We use our imagination and our initiative and we climb the stairs. We break through the barriers and we get people into the presence of Jesus Christ. Number five, verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven the conversion took place. And I say, wow, no one saw that coming. Not the four friends, not the paralytic, not the scribes, not the, not the people that were sitting around there, not the, not the believers, not the followers, not the critics. No one saw that one coming. This friend was paralyzed. His body needed fixing. His friends cared, they cooperated, they committed to getting him to Jesus. But they weren't, weren't really looking for salvation. They weren't looking for forgiveness. They weren't looking for spiritual conversion. They wanted their friend to be better. They wanted him to be able to walk. But Jesus jumps all over that and gets right to the point and says, your sins are forgiven. Of course, we see by the context that Jesus was using this situation to teach his followers and to call out his detractors. No one else has the power to forgive sin except God. So just so you know who I am, hey buddy, go ahead and pick up your cot and get going. You can walk now. Have you ever thought about the significance of that first declaration of Jesus? Son, your sins are forgiven you. We're in chapter 2 of Mark. We're not at the end. There's been no crucifixion. There's been no resurrection. There's been no 
there's been no anything. There's no baptism. Son, your sins are forgiven. He didn't have time to go to church and join up the discipleship program and mark off his calendar. He, your sins are forgiven. Are your sins forgiven? You see, eventually, we don't know when, but we don't know how old this man was, nor how old he was when he died, but eventually, the legs of the healed paralytic quit working. His lungs quit functioning. His heart quit beating. He died. But his sins will remain forgiven for eternity. See, the first miracle was much, much greater than the second. Your sins are forgiven. It's important to do good works. It's important to open up the door. It's important to have strategies where we make, make friends and we, we, we build bridges. But friends, it's a lot more important to do spiritual work because that's the part that lasts forever. Are your sins forgiven? Are you there? Do you doubt it? Today could be the day that changes all of that. You could change your confusion into joy. Your doubts could be replaced by assurance. We would beg of you that you allow Jesus to be your Savior. And that could happen today and it could happen right here. No other decision is more important. No other act of volition, no other, no other thinking is as important as when you come to the place in your life when you accept the fact that you by yourself cannot be saved, you cannot have heaven, you cannot be forgiven, Unless Jesus does it, when you realize that and He becomes your Savior, He calls you son. Because you're born into the family. And He says to you, son or daughter, your sins are forgiven. But there's one more thing I want us to see today. That's still there in verse number 5. The Scripture says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven. Who is they? Who is there? He was carried by four men. When they could not come near him, they uncovered the roof. They let down the bed. When Jesus saw their faith, that possessive pronoun refers to the friends. That's a little, little nervous. Because we strongly believe that everybody has to be saved on their own. We strongly know that, don't we? You can't get saved for your kids or your kids can't get saved for you. You have to make your choice. You have to trust Christ personally. But the personal pronouns that God uses in the Bible, which is inspired of him and God breathed, every word is important. He saw their faith and forgave the sins of the paralytic. 
When you think about your salvation, you can probably think of the faith of someone else who had a role in your coming to Christ. Think about that for a second. Who was it in your life that prayed for you, that was concerned for you, that invited you to a youth meeting or to a Sunday school class or to a vacation Bible school or to a trunk and treat or to whatever it is that was going on? Who was it that cared enough to invite you? Who was concerned for you? Maybe it was a mother or a dad. Maybe it was a, an aunt or a, a distant relative. Maybe it was a friend from school. Jesus saw their faith and he forgave his sins. He saw the faith of four guys and saved their friend. There's another scripture that has this principle and it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll just read a few phrases here, starting in verse 13. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but according to the measure of the area of ministry that God has assigned to us, which reaches even to you, since we have come to you with the gospel of Christ. We are not bragging beyond measure about other people's labors, but we have the hope, verse 15, that as your faith increases, our area of ministry will be greatly enlarged so that we may proclaim the good news to the regions beyond you. And so today we, we gently land at our destination. When God sees our faith, He says to some sophisticated Dutchman, your sins are forgiven. When He sees our faith, he says to some sweet English grandmother, your sins are forgiven. When he sees our faith, he says to some reprobate businessman in some big city on the other side of the world, your sins are forgiven. When he sees our faith, he says to some rebellious Kansas City student, your sins are forgiven. When he sees our faith, he says to some impoverished Mongolian, your sins are forgiven. When he says, sees our faith, he says to a Colombia Mafia bodyguard named Miguel in Quito, Ecuador, tus pecados te son perdonados. Your sins are forgiven. Well, how does that work? Paul explains it right here. When your faith is increased, we are enlarged by you and we are given the capacity and the ability to take the good news to regions that are where? Beyond. To those regions beyond your borders, we can take the good news when your faith is increased. So as your faith increases, the church and the mission program and the individual missionaries are enlarged. They're, they're given the capacity, they're given the ability, they're given the resources they need so that they can take the message of, God, of the good news to the regions that are beyond you. When you receive the gospel, listen carefully. When you receive the gospel, you became the outer boundary of the gospel, according to this passage in, in, in Corinthians. We got to you with the gospel. The gospel was shared with you. You have now become the outer boundary of the gospel. If it is to go any farther than you, your faith must be increased. 
You must exercise your faith. You must grow your faith. Your faith must be enlarged. Where do you get faith? You know that, don't you? Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And so we gather together two or three times a week with other believers and our faith is enlarged. Our faith is increased. We grow in the Word of God. When our faith grows, our giving grows. And when our giving grows, other people can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you pray today that God would make your faith grow so that you will promise to pray and give so that the gospel can now go beyond you, beyond your borders? It can happen. It happened in Mark 2. He saw the faith of four guys that were concerned and committed, determined to get there. And he saved a man. He gave him eternal life. He forgave his sins. And then just to prove a point, he, he, made, he made him walk. What's God want to do in your life? What does God want to do in your family? What does God want to do in your church? Whatever it is, it's going to be determined by our faith. So let your faith grow. Let him see your faith so that others can come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Would you stand with me as we pray? Our Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity that you have given us to be here in this place, in this, in this hour. We thank you for allowing us to be exposed to your word and to see a, an illustration of an amazing principle. I pray, Father, that you would help us to apply that to our lives individually. If there's someone here that doesn't know you as Savior, they don't have that peace of having their sins forgiven, I pray that today would be the day that they decide to let you be their Savior. For those of us who know you, may we draw ourselves closer to you, help our faith to increase so that we can be obedient to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. With your heads bowed. The praise team's going to play a chorus here, and this is our time to respond, to come, to come to the throne of grace, to consecrate our lives to the Lord, to say to the God, here am I, use me as I go beyond borders here in Kansas City, use me perhaps, Lord, if you're calling me, help me to discern that, to know that, and to surrender my life to even go beyond borders around the world. And even come to this altar, and as you surrender your life, to say, God, here's my commitment here in my faith promise as a commitment of my life to you. Use it for the furtherance of your gospel and consecrate it to the Lord. So will you respond? Will you come and pray and respond as God sees fit, as he's calling you to do here this morning, as the praise team sings, or as they play, rather? Mm -hmm.